I do want to welcome all those joining us online today. I'm Pastor Zach. Shelly and I have the blessed ability and opportunity to serve as lead pastors of this great group of people. Been here over a year now. We love what God calls us to do. What a joy. I'd like to remind our members, if you're a church member, that tonight we'll have our annual business meeting, so please come out for that. If you can show up at 6 so that you can sign in, so that we can start promptly at 6.30, that would help us a lot. If you're not a church member and want to know how can I become a member of the church, we usually offer a membership class in both the spring and the fall. This spring's a little bit different. We wanted to all come together in a connect group this spring on how to live a naturally supernatural life. So we don't have it this spring, which means in the fall, we're going to have like a triple, quadruple class for members, and it's going to be a great time. So be patient, with, but either way, get connected. A connect class that we offer, connect class, offers a fourth Sunday of the month. So although we won't have a membership class in the fall, you could get connected this week. So we want you to do that, and please feel at liberty to do that. Well, Shelly and I, a couple of months ago, we were talking with one of the teachers we worked with in Jerusalem. And we were just checking in on her. How are you doing? How can we be praying for you? And she was just filling us in on her life and and talking with us about the church she was involved with. She said, I love my church. I love their emphasis in being grounded in the word. I I love their community, uh, that we can hold one another accountable in the way that we follow Jesus. She said, but I struggle with their lack of emphasis of being led by the Spirit, of hearing from God today as his church. And I, I asked her to elaborate. I said, what do you mean? She said, well... I was in the young adult service, and uh, the, the leader, he made the statement, now, you know, as you talk to God, that's called prayer, and if you hear from God, that's called schizophrenia, <laughs> which is kind of a funny statement. I thought that's funny. But honestly, the, for me, that's disheartening to think that people would have the viewpoint, we can't hear from God today. That's not what we, that's not what we see in Scripture. I mean, what does the Bible have to say about that? Well, the Bible, if, if you're reading through that over 300 times, You can read the words the Lord said 300 times. God is speaking through people to people in the Bible, in both the Old and the New Testament. And he speaks to his people today. Shelly and I know this for a fact. There are times where Shelly and I can look back. We know we heard from God on something. We followed his leading, and God led us in places we never would have gone otherwise without him speaking into our hearts. Uh, There have been times, things that Shelly and I have known that we would have otherwise never known had God not speaking to our hearts about it. God speaks to his people today. A passage from 1 Kings, it talks about listening to God. Solomon's being asked by God what he wants, and and God says, God says to Solomon, what do you want? Can you imagine that question from God? That's like the ultimate blank check. What do you want? Ask and I'll give it to you. It's 1 Kings 3, 5. And what does Solomon respond? He says, give me an understanding heart. NIV says a discerning heart. My favorite translation is a message. He says, give me a God-listening heart. I love that. Solomon's being asked by God what he wants, and the greatest thing he could have asked for is to have a God-listening heart. Absolutely. That's what real wisdom is. Solomon asks for wisdom, and his definition of that is a God-listening heart. Now, think about it. God who created the heavens and the earth. God who created you and I, he enjoys relationship and conversation with us. That's an awesome thing. It's amazing that God wants that from us. Why would we not want to hear from God who knows everything? God of the impossible. I mean, if you can hear from an all-knowing, nothing is impossible for me, God, isn't that real wisdom? Absolutely it is. One of the most important things we can cultivate as a follower of Jesus is a listening heart. 
so that we can hear what God is saying. Over and over to the churches of Revelation. If you were here last summer in the church, we walked through the seven churches of Revelation. After every one, he says, he who has an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. Jesus desires to talk to his church. And that isn't church buildings. The church is people. He desires to talk to you. And so we have to cultivate a listening heart. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we have a listening heart? How can we posture ourselves to hear from God? Well, the passage of Luke we're going to examine today, it sheds light on this topic. And as we continue in Luke 2 today, here's what we're going to find. That you can hear from God by acquiring a listening heart. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we keep them underneath the pews. If you don't have a Bible at home, we encourage you to take that as a gift from the church. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, reading verses 22 through 40 this morning. And I'm also going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word today. We stand simply out of reverence to say, God, thank you for sending your word to us. We appreciate this instruction book you give us for life. So Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came to the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineal, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from, where, from when she was a virgin. And when, as a widow, until was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting, prayer night and day, and coming up to God and to speak to him, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jesus, redemption of Israel, for Jerusalem. The return, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, 
And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Amen. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So we're walking through the New Testament book of Luke. And I really like Luke. Not just the book, but the man, the writer behind the book. And here are some reasons why. Luke values education. He's a doctor. He's a smart guy, and God uses him to write the longest book in the New Testament between Luke and Acts. Luke also has faith, but he has questions. I love this about Luke. He has faith. He knows that God is who he says he is. Jesus is the Son of God, but he's going to dive in and ask questions. So he's doing this in-depth study on the life of Jesus because he wants to understand everything he can about it to explain that faith to others. And Luke, he's a spirit-filled believer. Over and over again, we see Luke writing about spirit-empowered people. Elizabeth, and Zechariah, and John the Baptizer, Simeon, and Jesus. So Luke, he's a smart guy. He's educated. He's grounded in the Word and Spirit-filled. I love that combination. Luke is serious about God. He's serious about his studies and serious about living a Spirit-filled life. What a great guy. And as we examine the birth of Jesus, I like to have a holistic view of what's going on. I like to do an in-depth study of what was really the narrative. What, what do we look at when we look at the story of Jesus coming to earth? about the Son of God coming and entering the space and history of the first century. And to know that, we really need to look at both Luke and Matthew, and we need to look at John, and, and fuse those things together to really understand the birth narrative, which basically we finished today. So today is the end of the birth narrative of Jesus. So I want us to wrap our minds around that, because as we move forward through Luke, there's a story that's taking place, and if we understand the story, we can understand what's happening behind that story. So we start back in, in Luke chapter 1. We see that there's been silence, and, and all of a sudden the angel Gabriel shows up in the temple to Zechariah, and he tells Zechariah, your prayer has been answered, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah, now he doubts, so he asks for a sign. And so the angel Gabriel says, fine, I'll give you a sign, strikes him deaf and mute for nine months. So he gives a sign to Zechariah, and he gives a, a gift to Elizabeth, right? Nine months of silence. I mean, here, I mean, you look back at the narrative, Luke chapter 1, here's what he tells the angel, have you seen my wife? She's old. Gabriel says, that's enough of you talking, strikes a mute. That's why we know it's a gift to Elizabeth. So this is what happens when we get into Luke chapter 1, but then we keep going forward, and then six months later, the angel Gabriel shows up in Nazareth to Mary and tells Mary, Mary, you're going to have the Son of God. You're going to raise him as your own. And Mary, she has faith, but she has questions. Well, now how's that going to happen? And so the angel Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, will come upon you. And as a sign, Elizabeth is with child. So Mary's excited. She says, well, I want to go see Elizabeth and, and congratulate her. So she takes off for a few days' journey, gets to the Judean hillside where Zechariah and Elizabeth live. And as soon as these two women meet, the Holy Spirit comes upon Elizabeth, and they celebrate. And Mary sings. She should be worried about her situation, but she doesn't worry she worships. I love that about Mary. And then we keep moving forward, and, and Mary, we're not sure whether she was there for the birth of, of John the baptizer or not, or whether she left right before that, but either way, she heads back to Nazareth. But by now, people can see Mary's pregnant, and she's engaged to Joseph. This is scandalous. So Joseph, we read in Matthew chapter 1, it says that, that Joseph, he fumed. It says he considered these things, but better translation, he was angry. And so then he went back, and as he was angry, he was able to reprocess that anger into grace. And angel Gabriel shows up in Joseph's dream and says, don't worry about this. Take Mary as your wife, 
and raise Jesus as your son. And Joseph follows that instruction. He does it. So then Caesar, a census is called forth. And so Joseph, because he owns property down in, in Bethlehem, he's going to take Mary. It's kind of a good opportunity for them to get out of town. And they're going to go down to Bethlehem. It takes several days to get down there. And when they get down there, it says they were betrothed. So basically, they traveled as an engaged couple. But at some point in Bethlehem, they get married. So they're down. They're staying with family. And they're staying in the wedding chambers. Because they go down, they get married, stay in the wedding chambers, the guest house. And then when it's time for Jesus to be born, they move into the main part of the house so that Mary can have her attendance, and then Jesus is born. And of course, the Word has become flesh. We see that in John chapter 1, that God's Word is in the flesh. That's an awesome thing. So Jesus shows up, and the angels come and proclaim this majesty. The angels, they're not in need of salvation. I love that the angels come, and they praise for our sake. What an awesome attitude to have. Can we praise for people that need to know who Jesus is? Absolutely, that's what the angels do. So the angels come and the shepherds say, well, we got to go see this thing. So they go into Bethlehem. They pass by the Herodian, this mighty mountain palace. Jesus wasn't born there because he didn't come just for the royal. He came for the common. He came for the rich and the poor. He came for us all. So they go, they find Jesus with Mary and Joseph, basically in a manger. He was born in a stall. And this is where Jesus is found. And then we read our passage. And it says, 40 days later, the days of purification were over. They go to the temple to present Jesus at the temple. And as they go to present Jesus at the temple, here's where for me, I'm like Luke, I like to do an in-depth study, I struggle. Because the story takes a turn, and if you don't pay attention, you miss it. It says at the end of the scripture, they presented him at the temple, and they went back to Nazareth. But what do we know still happens in Matthew chapter 2? What happens? Who comes and visits? Not just shepherds. Wise men. Matthew chapter 2, it says the wise men come, and where do they find Jesus and Mary and Joseph? In Bethlehem. So I start asking questions. I have faith, but I've got questions. How do they find him in Bethlehem if in Luke 2 it says that they went back to Nazareth? And so I dive deep. I read lots of things, including lots of commentaries. And so here's what the commentators argue, and I agree with them. That basically what has happened is, as Joseph and Mary are waiting for the birth of Jesus, because Joseph has property in Bethlehem. You know, Joseph, we know, what is his trade? Most people know this. He's a carpenter. But now the Greek word tekton, which is the word behind carpenter, it actually means builder. Joseph is a builder. If you go and visit Israel, it's the land of rocks. Everything is built out of rocks, everything. So it means that Joseph, basically he's a mason carpenter. He builds out of rocks, he builds out of wood. So I really believe that what has happened is Joseph, they go down to Bethlehem, and remember, this is a scandal, that he has taken Mary as his wife. And instead of living in a hostile environment in Nazareth, because it's a small town, he, as a descendant of King David, says, why don't we just relocate permanently down to Bethlehem? Let's start setting ourselves up here. So he, on that property, builds a home, begins building a home for them. After the 40 days of purification, they go back to Nazareth because Mary's family, they need to meet Jesus. So they want to bring that baby back there. They want to gather all their things for a permanent move back down to Bethlehem. They go back down to Bethlehem, and two years later is, is the guesstimate, the, the Arab Magi, they come and they visit with Mary and Joseph, and they give them these extravagant gifts. This poor couple, they give these extravagant gifts. And about the time they start doing some financial planning, like what should we do with these gifts, then all of a sudden Angel Gabriel shows up in Joseph's dream and tells Joseph, you need to depart because people are seeking to kill baby Jesus. And so the scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 2 that that night, 
That's called obedience. That night, he departs and goes to Egypt, and they flee. And I really love the fact that the gifts that the Arab Magi bring, it supports this refugee family for the time that they're in Egypt. Isn't that cool? God goes before you for the provisions that you need. I, just, I love that aspect. I'm not going to preach into that today, but there's really a good message there. So what we have here is then Joseph, they flee to Egypt, and then after they've been there for some time, we see the angel Gabriel shows back up, and he tells Joseph in a dream, look, Herod has died, you can go back to Israel. So they are heading back into Israel, and when you look at Matthew chapter 2, it says they were heading back to Judea. Why? Because they have a home in Bethlehem. But it says as they were going back there, they saw Archelaus, the son of Herod, is reigning over Judea, so they decided not to go back there, and they head back to Nazareth. So, as far as I can give you, that's the story. Any questions? <laughs> so, for me, I mean, for me, I, I have faith, but I have questions. I want to figure out what's going on here. And I struggled for a while. How do they go back to Nazareth and the wise men find them back in Bethlehem? But that's really what we see is it looks like Joseph was resettling his family there until as they're coming back in Israel, they realize we need to go back to Nazareth. But what's cool about all of that is all of that is in fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament but it's neat that as Joseph and Mary, here's what's really important. For them to navigate all of these things over and over, they have to be able to hear from God. They have to have God-listening hearts. When the angel Gabriel shows up, they need to not only have God-listening hearts, but they need to have a heart to obey what's being spoken. And that's what we see for Mary and Joseph. They see that they have God-listening hearts. It helps them navigate everything that's happening over the course of these years. And in doing so... They're fulfilling prophecy that they may not even be aware of, and we'll see that as we keep walking through Luke. Now, they, uh, as we look at Mary and Joseph, when we look at the situation of them presenting Jesus at the temple, we also see that they were devout in their pursuit of God and following his instructions. This is what led them to the temple 40 days after Jesus was born because they were going to go and offer a sacrifice. And that leads me to my first point this morning that you can acquire a listening heart by offering yourself as a living sacrifice. And Jesus was born to parents who kept the laws of Judaism. They follow the prescribed rites of purification and they travel to Jerusalem. So they're in Bethlehem, they travel to Jerusalem so that they can follow what is the Old Testament law to present Jesus to God the Father. Jesus came from a family that sought to honor God. I love that. The journey of Jesus' parents to the temple, what it does is it actually combines three separate ceremonies as recorded in God's law. The first is the purification of a woman 40 days after the birth of a child. If you've been reading through Leviticus, you would have seen these things. Second thing is the presentation of the firstborn to God. And the third thing is the dedication of the firstborn into the Lord's service. So they're doing all of these things as they bring Jesus to the temple. The rite of purification, it involved offering a burnt sacrifice and a sin offering. And the mention of turtle doves, that's an important note. Every word matters as we're reading it. The mention of turtle doves, it shows that Joseph and Mary were poor. They were people without means. You see that as the poor person's offering in Leviticus. Now, this is why I don't think they rode a donkey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I think they had to hike it. They wouldn't have had the means to own such an animal. You know, one of the reasons Joseph and Mary had listening hearts is because they regularly honored God. And they did this through sacrifice. Now I would ask, do, do we as believers under the new covenant, do we need to offer sacrifices at a temple? Do we? No, absolutely not. Jesus was the final sacrifice. No other sacrifice is required. Praise the Lord. If you read through Leviticus last month, 
Praise God, that is not my job. I don't know if I could do it. Oh, man. No, Jesus is the final sacrifice. We don't offer sacrifices anymore. But Jesus did make clear that to follow him, it does involve living a crucified life. We're going to get to that later in Luke, but I'll mention it here, and we'll come back to it. Luke chapter 9, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Here's what he says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So though we don't offer sacrifices anymore, Jesus relates to us, we ourselves are basically, in the words of Paul, living sacrifices. Paul mentions this in Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul is telling us that we offer ourselves. So we don't follow a sacrificial system, but we ourselves should be basically surrendering ourselves unto God in all things. And how do we do that? We find how we do that in the next verse, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how do we offer ourselves as a sacrifice? We seek Jesus and ask him, Lord, renew my mind. I don't want to be conformed to the patterns of this world. We live for God. We live for the kingdom of God. We don't live for this world. If you remember the first message I shared, January 1st, about living the crucified life, I had this rope that started from here and it went out through that door. The way that you can tell if you're living a crucified life is whether you're concerning yourself with this much on the end, that part of the rope, which is, you know, these 80, 90, whatever many years God gives you here, or if you're living in light of eternity, which is that rope that goes on forever. Because when you live in light of eternity, you live a different life. It's easy to embrace a crucified life when you keep in mind, I'm living for the rest of my life, I'm not just living for these days alone. To have a listening heart, you must be a living sacrifice. You know, but of course, there is a problem with living sacrifices. Do you know what it is? That's it. They keep crawling off the altar. That's the problem with living sacrifices. They keep turning their back on God and living for this world. They stop abiding. They stop reading God's word. They stop spending time in prayer. They stop attending church. They stop hanging out with brothers and sisters in God's family. They avoid the positive peer pressure that a church family provides. This is part of why we do weekly review. We want you to check in with one another. And I'll tell you, that's a surface level checking in. My real heart is that you get to know people in this church so well that they can begin to ask you the tough questions. But I can't mandate that. That has to organically come from you. Basically trusting others in relationship so that you can begin to dive in at deeper levels and ask the hard questions. People who are crawling off the altar, they start embracing a worldly outlook and lifestyle. People stop living for God and they start living for themselves. To have a listening heart, to have the ability to hear from God, you must present yourself as a living sacrifice before God. If you have things in your life that you're choosing over God, it will limit your ability to hear from him. It just will. If you're staying up late to watch television, if that's more important than getting up early to spend time with God so you can hear from him, that's a problem. If listening to music, talk radio, or anything else in your car is more important than being quiet before him as you drive, you're limiting your ability to hear from God. Don't do that. You can develop a listening heart by giving up things that fill your time. God desires to speak to you, but you must stay on the altar and live for him to hear his voice. You can also acquire a listening heart by living with expectation. 
And when Joseph and Mary, they they go to the temple to offer sacrifices and dedicate Jesus, they encounter a spirit-filled man named Simeon. And when you read the narrative of Simeon, you find someone living with the spirit of expectancy. I love that about him. Someone who believed in the promises of God. And because of this, God speaks to Simeon and tells him he would not see death before he lays eyes on the Messiah. Here's what the passage said. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name is Simon. And he was a man that was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do to him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. I love that about Simeon. It's a wonderful testimony for him. Simeon was a man of God. He lived expecting great things from God. And God honors Simeon by letting him know he will not pass before seeing the rescuer, the deliverer, the savior. So I would ask, are are you living in a state of expectancy? You want to know how you can tell? If you're bored with life, you're not living a life of expectancy. If you're having a hard time recognizing, seeing God at work, we ask the weekly review question, basically, did you celebrate Jesus this week? Which before that is to say that you can see Jesus at work in your life. If you can't recognize Jesus at work in your life, you may not be living with expectancy. You know, having seen Jesus, here's what we see with Simeon. Knowing who he is, Simeon's absolutely at peace. Everything else in his life, it pales in comparison. He has met Jesus, and the details of the rest of his life's resume are absolutely irrelevant. And Paul gives similar testimony in Philippians chapter 3. For Paul, here's what he says. Everything else he's accomplished in life, he's a person of great lineage, he's accomplished, you know, as a great Pharisee, he's done all these things. But he says, compared to knowing Jesus, it's all his loss. Nothing else matters. And I love that about Paul and Simeon. I've kind of joked with our staff that we live, you know, in, in a city that values credentials. And I do too. I value qualifications. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to make a wall where I can put my bachelor's degrees, my master's degrees, my licensing and ordinations and commissionings for overseas service. And then I'm going to title it with dung wall. None of it matters. <laughs> we see qualifications, Lord, use us mightily. But in the end, that's not who we are. We are who we are in Jesus' name. You're a child of God. That's the only title you need. In fact, I joked with the staff. Here's the other thing I said. I would love to just put on all of your, outside of all your doors, just put child of God, child of God, child of God. I said, but that would really confuse people. Like, is it child of God door number one or door number three for Pastor Jim? So we put titles and descriptions to help people. But we need to live like that. May we work hard for Jesus. May we be, gain qualifications, but may, may we not rest on that. May everything in our life come from who Jesus is to us. Are you living like this? Live for God and find your joy solely in him. Live knowing God fulfills his promises. We see this over and over and over. Luke chapter 1 and 2, if you don't believe God keeps his promises, you need to start reading that over and over. Over and over we see God keeps his promises. We see this in the life of Simeon. He's promised he would see the Messiah, and now we see him holding in his arms, blessing God. God keeps his promises. Live expectantly, knowing God desires to work in and through your life. And as you do, pretty soon, you'll begin to recognize his voice. You can have a listening heart by living a life of expectancy. And you can also acquire a listening heart by living a life of worship. 
you know, this narrative of Joseph and Mary, I really love this section of Luke chapter 2. It just keeps getting better as they move from presenting sacrifices to now they're encountering Simeon. I mean, who like raises up Jesus like Lion King style, you know, blessing God. I just, I love that. And then they get to the prophetess Anna. And I love the description for her. And have you noticed Luke is all about people who are advanced in years? I love that. Luke chapter 1 and 2, he's constantly coming back to people who are advanced in years. Another great thing about Luke, he honors and respects his elders. You know, we look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, Simeon and Anna, and here's what we find here. This is awesome. We are never too old for God to minister to us, and we are never too old to minister for him. May we remember that. Luke challenges those advanced in years as he puts before them examples of those who lived for God until they passed from this life and into the next. And let me say this to all of our seasoned saints in the room and online today. Sometimes your most productive years in spiritual service for God, they come after your most productive years of earthly toil. May you not lose sight of that. The age of Simeon and Anna, it reminds us that retirement may be a misnomer for believers. Many of our older generation are freed up in retirement to pursue greater ministry in ways they could never give full energy to when they were employed. And we have many of our church who live this way. I love to see their examples. They serve in the food pantry. They help in the office. They work with our volunteers. They don't retire. They refire. That's what we should do. May the last 20 years of your life be more productive for the kingdom than your first 60 or 70. And look, look what Luke has to write about Anna. What an awesome description. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. What an awesome testimony. Anna is likely around 100 years old at this point as she's spending retirement just in worship. What an awesome lady. Oh, for more Simeons and Annas. I mean, here are two people near the end of their life. They are still serving God full steam ahead. Contentment is not a matter of age or energy level. Contentment is defined by an openness to serve God and to share him with others. May we find contentment there. Anna, she worships night and day. She walks into the temple. She sees Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, and she knows immediately who he is, the Son of God, the one to redeem mankind. Think about how many people were there worshiping. The Bible only mentions two, Simeon and Anna. These two people, among everybody else that's there, they recognize who Jesus is. Why? Because they have God-listening hearts. And we need that too. To have a listening heart, you must live a life of worship. And you must have regular times of prayer and fasting. And as you do, you'll recognize Jesus as you see him. You'll be able to see Jesus where he's at work in your workplace. You'll know where he's at work in your neighborhoods, where he's at work in your family. As you begin to gain a God-listening heart, you're going to see where Jesus is working and where he's inviting you to become a part of it. When you come to church on Sunday, Shelly shared this morning, man, come ready to worship. Just worship him. Have a heart to worship. If you have the ability to devote more time and service to God, follow in the footsteps of Anna and do it. Live a life of worship to God. You can hear from God as you acquire a listening heart by offering yourself as a living sacrifice, by living with expectancy, and by living a life of worship. But there is the question, once you have that God-listening heart, what do you need to do with that? Well, a listening heart, it hears, and it also responds to God. That's what you need to do. 
God speaks in a lot of ways, and that's the question I sometimes get. How can I hear God's voice? There's three areas that I have found over and over that God enjoys speaking in. The first is through his word. The reason I love soap is because what I want you, if you do nothing but read a chapter a day, praise God. If that's the time you have to abide, but read a chapter, and man, what you're going to find is all of a sudden a verse, verse jumps out at you. And that's God speaking to your heart. He's saying, apply this verse to your life. I want you to do that. He speaks through God's word. As you come here on a Sunday morning, you need to engage and talk with others. What I have found is as I'm in conversation with someone, they speak something, and there's a quickening in my spirit that says, that wasn't just that person speaking, that was me speaking through them. God can do that. That's part of why we do weekly review. I pray that you engage with your neighbors that are next to you. You don't know what God wants to speak through you into the life of another. The other way he does it is in prayer. You might get a sense in prayer time that God is putting things in your heart, that he's sharing things with you. You could be laying down at night, getting up in the morning, and realize that God's talking to you, he's speaking to you. I like to call that a God thought. For me, uh, one of the areas where I readily see and, and hear God's voice, you know, he says, be still and know that I'm God, but I have a hard time being still. Um, people sometimes come in and try to find me in my office. Usually I'm somewhere else in the building because I like to move around. I just, I don't know, I like to move. And so my kids are kind of built that way. I always feel bad for Shelly because she gets to help raise them. But I understand that. So for me to be still before the Lord, what I need to do is I'm going to wake up and I'm going to read God's word. I'm going to meditate on that. I'm going to transition into a time of prayer. But more times than not, the time that the Lord begins speaking to my heart is when I'm out running or I'm at the gym, that basically now that my body's moving, my mind becomes free and my mind is still before the Lord. A lot of what we've done here at Connection Point, God has spoken to my heart in that time space. I've been in his word. I've had time in prayer and God begins to speak as I'm out just running. So I encourage you, find a space where God can speak to your heart about things. And when he speaks, listen. Always obey the prompting of the Lord. Now, I mean, if you're hearing something that's illegal, unethical, immoral, you can obviously know that's not of God. Um, so don't listen to that. But when God speaks, obey. Make a habit of acting on what you sense God is saying. To encourage somebody, to pray for somebody, to reach out to a neighbor, to invite someone to church. Those are all things that God can drop into your heart. Whatever it is, follow after it. Now, what kind of qualities do we see in a listening heart? This is important. A listening heart obeys when it doesn't understand. This is really important. A listening heart obeys when it doesn't understand. So now we have acquired this God-listening heart, and what do we need to do? We need to obey even when we don't fully understand something. You're not trying to figure everything out. You simply are willing to follow the voice of God. Think about Joseph. He's woken up. He's in a dream. Angel Gabriel shows up and says, Mary's going to be with child by the Holy Spirit. 2,000 years later, we still don't fully understand that. Joseph did not understand what that meant. But what did he do? He says, yes, Lord, I'm going to simply obey that. We don't have to figure everything out to follow what God is leading us in. You know, if you have to understand God's will, here's an important point. If you have to understand God's will before you're willing to pursue God's will, you're likely going to miss God's will. I'm going to say that again. If you have to understand God's will before you're willing to pursue God's will, you will likely miss God's will. You need to keep that in mind. Second thing a listening heart does is it obeys immediately. You know, when the Arab Magi, they leave Mary and Joseph... I highlighted the fact that Joseph, he's in a dream. He's told to depart that night. Okay, if you've been in a household where you've got sleeping kids, you don't want to wake up that two-year-old. You just don't. 
But Joseph, in obedience to God, he says, Mary, we're packing up and we're heading out. Immediately he obeys God. Now you could argue, well, if an angel showed up in my dream, I'd listen to that angel. No, you wouldn't. Look at Zechariah. What does he do? That angel shows up and he starts asking questions. He starts to doubt. Have you seen my wife? Zap, you're not talking anymore. That's it. (laughs) He has questions because he can't believe it. And here's the thing. If you're putting qualifiers on how God must show up to speak, you're going to miss the voice of God. Or you could delay your response at least. And here's the problem with delaying your response to God. It's called delayed obedience, which in our household is called disobedience. Any parents in the room? I don't know how many times we rehearsed that. Delayed obedience is disobedience. The mantra in our household is obey right away without delay. Our kids could repeat it to you. You can ask them after church if you want, although they might not like that. Maybe you don't. <laughs> but we tell them that. They know that. Because here's the problem. The longer you wait to obey, the less sure you are that you heard his voice. It's one of the challenges. The longer you wait to obey, the less sure you are you heard his voice. You were sure in that moment. You knew that it was God speaking to you, but then you start to wait. You start to ask others, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And then you start to doubt you heard his voice. Second challenge is the longer you wait to obey, the softer God's voice gets. And that's scary. If you start ignoring the voice of the Lord, the softer his voice is going to get. And the longer you wait to obey, urgency fades and the harder obedience becomes. You don't want that. To listen to God's voice, it will require faith to believe that God will do what he said he's going to do. But what do we find over and over in Luke chapter 1 and 2? God keeps his promises. He always comes through. When he speaks to your heart, you've got to rest in the confidence he's going to accomplish his will. When you're driving in your car and God asks you to pray for someone, just do it right then. You don't have to ask, does God want me to pray for that person? Absolutely he wants you to pray for that person. You don't need to ask. When God gives you a kingdom-sized dream, trust him for the results. Obey his voice and watch as he begins to work through your life. To live for God, you must have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying and feet that are quick to obey. You need to have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying and feet that are quick to obey. You know, a quality we see repeatedly in the life of Joseph and Mary is his ability to hear from God. They both hear from God. He's told to take Mary as his wife, to name, his baby, uh, name the baby Jesus, and after the wise men appear, he's told to flee to Egypt, And when Herod dies, he's told by God to return to Israel. And over and over again, we see God speaking to Joseph, and Joseph maintains a listening and obedient heart. Mary and Joseph both do this. And and now think about this. If you're God the Father, and you're sending your son to earth, and you're going to entrust him to a couple to raise him, what's the quality you most want that earthly couple to have? You want them to have a heart to listen to God the Father, right? Joseph and Mary are people who know how to listen to God. And here's what else. They taught Jesus how to listen to God as well. You want to know how I know this? Look at verses 39 and 40 from our passage. This is where we close. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. He had a God-listening heart, and the favor of God was upon him. Wisdom is a God-listening heart. Where do you think Jesus learned to have a God-listening heart? From earthly parents who taught him to sacrifice, to live expectantly, 
and to live a life of worship. They taught him that once he heard God the Father's voice, he needed to be quick to obey, quick to follow after God's heart, filled with wisdom. Here's what I love the combination here. Because he has a God-listening heart, what's the end result? The favor of God rests upon him. What a promise. A listening heart leads to the favor of God. Who wouldn't want that? You can hear from God by acquiring a listening heart, which leads to the favor of God. What a great passage. What could your life look like if you were experiencing the favor of God? How could the greater Lafayette area look different if it was being influenced by a church full of people, desperate to hear from God, to have God-listening hearts, knowing they'll experience God's favor as they do? We won't know until we purpose ourselves to have God-listening hearts. I'd like to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And as we stand to close, I do want to ask, have you been living a life without the ability to hear from God because you're separate from Him? To have a God-listening heart, you need to be in a relationship with Him. But maybe you don't have that this morning. Maybe you've been far from God. You've not been living for Him. But maybe you'd say, you know what? I don't want to live that way anymore. I've experienced God today, and I, I want to follow after Him with all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my strength. If everybody could bow their head here just for a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God today. If you're here and you have not made a decision to devote your life to God, to live for Him so that you can hear from Him, to have a God-listening heart, but you'd say, I want to have that relationship today, simply raise your hand. We just want to pray with you before you go today that you can leave from this place with a God-listening heart. Anybody here today that would say, I want to follow after you? We have right here in the middle. Anybody else? Another one over here on the side, on the right. Anybody else that say, I want to follow you, God? Over here on the far right, down here in the very front, anybody else? Over here on the left, up in the balcony, anybody else? Over here on the right on the balcony, anybody else? There's at least six or seven people in this room here today that said, I need a God-listening heart, I want to follow you, God. you respond in that way today, altar our prayer team members, if you don't mind to come forward to the front here this morning. So prayer team, if you don't mind to come, here's what we're going to ask. If you raise your hand today, we don't want to in any way embarrass you, but what we want to do is give you a Bible and instructions on where do you go from here. We want you to follow Jesus for a lifetime. We don't want it to be a one-time decision. We want you to follow Jesus from now into eternity. So if you raise your hand this morning, they're going to begin to sing, and we're just going to welcome you to come down so that you can meet with one of our prayer team members. They give you a Bible. They want to match you up with somebody that says, here, if you've got questions, here's somebody you can talk to on what it looks like to follow Jesus for a lifetime. We've already got people coming, so if you raise your hand, why don't you just come this morning? We're just going to welcome and celebrate you today. Come on down. If you raise your hand, we just encourage you to come. Anybody else, feel free. If you didn't raise your hand, but you say, I need to know who God is, we just encourage you to come. So let's sing and celebrate this morning.